What's going on people? Thanks for tuning in to another episode of Black in a Box. And this time, to quote the great DJ Khaled, we got another one. Yep, we've got another very, very special guest for you. He's a best-selling author, poet, musician, podcaster. You'll have heard him on the lights of Stadio, Writer's House, the list goes on. Proper multi-hyphenate business this week. It's none other than Musa Akwanga. Really, really good conversation. We spoke about race, football and obviously his amazing latest book in the end it was all about love hope you all enjoy the key to the chicken right is the ginger isn't it mm. right that yeah you yes. see, you see this? <laughs> now I'm, I'm tasting this going this man is a demon there must be and here's the thing i felt like i felt like colombo because i i was looking through with my fork and sure enough <laughs> sure enough i found the small traces of ginger <laughs> You see, though, the issue is sometimes they'll put in a big piece of ginger and it gets masqueraded as a piece of chicken. <laughs> no, no. No, you've got to chop it finely. You can't finally, do that. Finally, yeah. Listen, this, this, these, these are the, are the ju- important conversations to be having. Listen, we contain multitudes, man. This is, <laughs> this is the range, right? Welcome to another Black in a Box, the world is told by black faces in white spaces. Oi, oi. All the regulars, I can see them all, all around me. <laughs> Musa, can you hear us? All right, gang, how's it going? Yep, good, good, all good, all clear. It's actually going to eat into the Champions League tonight, I didn't realise it. <laughs> Honestly. We're going, yeah, we're going half an hour because we're doing it. I'll just catch up. But yeah, I didn't realise we were going half an hour into Champions League. Yeah. But it's I've, fine, it's fine. It's, yeah, it's cool, it's cool. It's unfortunate, my man, I'm sorry. Yeah, how are you doing, sir? Yeah, very well. Um, is it all clear, the sound and everything? Super crisp. Is that, that's, have you got the Stadio package there? <laughs> we do indeed. We do indeed have the Stadio package. They sent us um, some very nice... Audio kit, man. I can't complain. You're sounding crispy, sir. You join us, a special guest on race and football. But, you know, I thought it'd be nice for you, you know, football is, a, well, it's a passion of everyone's, but it's, you know, you've really sort of come into a fore with your sort of study of podcast and with some of your writing. Um, I guess, you know, first of all, before we dive into this, how has it felt for you, like turning that sort of passion into, you know, into the podcasting, into the writing, into something which, you know, do do you see yourself as, as, a, as a football sort of writer and journalist and podcaster equal to everything else yet? You know how it is when you're doing any, like, I'm sure you'll do a variety of things. And it's like, one thing I used to do, I used to introduce myself primarily as like the thing I loved most, but then ugh, the older I got, the more I was just like, if I was in a football context, I'm a football writer and like, because it just makes it easy for people. People like football is not as progressive as forward thinking as it, as it pretends to be. It's really not like, mm-hmm. So I'm just like, yeah, for this purpose of this, I've got a football podcast and I write about it too. And that just normally just, that's normally fine. But I think what, what's been really nice, and I'm sure it's the same for you as well, like we we did our thing and then people found us. And the good thing about that, of course, is that you haven't got to change yeah. when someone finds you, right? You haven't got to change. And I like, is I think it'd be much very different if, um, let's say we've been hired by uh, a media company at the very start and they were like, okay, we want these podcasts from you. And we would have been like constantly second guessing ourselves. Whereas we can just say what we kind of like really, mm. which is, you know, especially these days, that's a real luxury. Like the amount of DMs I'm sure you get from people going, oh, we wish you could say that, but we can't like mm. get quite a few of those. <laughs> yeah, I get, I get a lot of those. Yeah. 
Yeah, I mean the last it's been see, the last six months for us, we've really sort of grooved it. At, at the beginning, there was a lot of like searching. Do we need to do this? Do we yeah. need to do that? And it's like no, just just be yourself. And you know that that comes back in the feedback that we get. Um, it's amazing how fast it's grown, though, man. Like it's amazing how fast the football, like the space about po not not podcasts, obviously not new, but like the variety of stuff, right? Like for sure. And you look at like you know black creators and like what black creators have done. It's just incredible. This last five years in particular. Honestly. I'm not I'm not including myself in that. I'm referring to like the generation of like you know Mayo Quadri and yeah. that lot. They've just like gone. They're you know, Mayo is producing yeah. not just podcasting, yeah. but like proper like framing stuff in 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 an, in in front of and behind and and beside the camera. Yeah. That's it's big. Two and a half years. I was I was at We Are Social working in social creative social advertising. Just the difference in the faces you see in the decks, and then they're like, oh, it's not just the people in the decks. It's the people making the advert. And then it's people making the creative idea. And then it's like, actually, let's just listen to the black people. We're not just hiring them. <laughs> yeah, them they, know, the they know what they're doing. Because you know what's happening, of course. It's the classic thing of how do we insert ourselves into the narrative? Like, people are like, they want to, you know, because ultimately, if the, black, if the blacks are making all the stuff, at what point do you cut yourself a piece of the pie? And people start getting anxious because they're like, mm. hang on, these clowns are doing everything. Like, so it's... it's a, <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, for sure. Well, I mean, that rolls nicely into our sort of first topic, which is I want to talk about how blackness has sort of permeated mainstream football culture. And mm. it's used to be like, let's show it and then let's, let's borrow it. And now it's, you know, we're, we're on the fringe of it being a bit like, I mean, we've used black blackfishing in the context of other <laughs> things. And I feel like yeah. some of this marketing and advertising I'm like, I'd, I'd like to see the receipts. I'd like to see- We actually, to be honest, we need to like almost, we need to save this because I want to go in on this. Okay. Like we need to, not 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 because I just want to go in on it. I, don't, I won't necessarily name names. But I will okay. definitely name behavior because like this energy is, it's very interesting. Mm. Yeah, it's just very interesting what gets made and what doesn't. Okay. Yeah, it's just very interesting. Yeah, yeah. I want to start like on, on, on a positive note. I'll come to you, Atlanta, because I feel like as someone who's one, not from the UK, two, like, I mean, you're kind of into football, but not crazy about it. I'm not a native football N fan. No. Is it, but is it noticeable for you to see, like, how much cultural resonance people like Alex Scott, like Wrighty, Mika Richards have, have sort of gained in, in recent years? Someone sort of, you know, just seeing the edge of the culture? Yeah, I definitely find it interesting. I think it actually had happened so gradually that maybe I didn't really notice until I started to actually consciously think about it. But um, I think the thing that's really interesting is not just black former footballers becoming um, pundits and sportscasters and stuff, but more seeing them everywhere in like fashion advertisements. Yeah. And mm -hmm. it's it's especially living in London. I mean, I just see, you know, your Sterlings and your Rashfords like everywhere. Mm which is really interesting. You definitely don't see that in the States. <laughs> well, that, that, I think that's an interesting comparison though with the States because obviously basketball, American football, being the two sports that I can tend to take in from mm. the States, you've always seen, or as long as I've been a fan anyway, we've always seen lots of black faces in fairly prominent positions within the media in those sports. And I think we're slowly creeping towards that place. But I think getting a bit more ownership perhaps than there is in the States. I think you do see that in the States and particularly with basketball, but it's in very specific scenarios. Mm. So you'll see everybody with the jerseys of black players, but then when you actually look at who's getting like the big endorsements of and course, the advertising yeah. deals and like the Super Bowl ads, it's, you know, your Tom Brady's of the world. It's not necessarily the black players. Yeah, and I mean, for me, the sort of, I wouldn't say tipping point, when Nike did the Londoner, 
Mm-hmm. And the that was like, I was like, oh, wow. Sims is in this. <laughs> I mean, she was in it as window dressing because um, she was just in it. But I like, I was like, they they get it now. Yeah. So it, it's interesting to see where it's gone. And since then, we've just seen that sort of deluge of them not just sort of nodding to it, but fully leaning into it and everything that sort of come with that. What year was that? I want to say 2015. Because I, I think that 2018 was, in terms of crossing over into the mainstream culture, what I call like your Tetley's teabag person, kind of understanding that there was a moment. I think there was. I think it was 2018 was the year. And I. So yeah, it was 2018. Yeah. I was gonna. Yeah. Say, yeah. Because I think that it was the World Cup, obviously, but there was also this Black moment. Black Panther comes out. There's a picture that I've got of my nephew wearing a Black Panther outfit watching the 2018 World Cup. Yeah. And I think people have forgotten how black that squad was. Maybe not necessarily starting 11, but Danny Welbeck was in that squad. Mm. You know, Danny Rose, Fabian Delph, um, Ruben Loftus-Cheek, Trent Alexander-Arnold. Oh, summer, wasn't it, where yeah. everyone's woman fell for, for Ruben? Became <laughs> 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 the most hated man in Britain. But yeah. I, I, I do genuinely think, and, and it, there was no, and I think in the way that the world has gone, I, I think it's a good thing that that happened in 2018 or a couple of years later, because there was no question around race. It was just mm. Gareth Southgate's come in, a man with fresh ideas. He's worked with all of these players under 21s. He's selecting what he thinks is the best players. He's playing the best players. You know, the, the national team goes on this great run of success. And I know that we're planning to talk about it later, this idea of like conditional nationality and mm. the way that, that there always has to be um, a scapegoat. But I really did feel that 2018 was massive. The moment when I realized it had fully crossed over was when um, the Mo Gilligan Roadman Footballer sketch went super viral. Yeah. It yeah. went so viral. If I'm letting God strap me down right now, I'm trying to be a Cristiano Ronaldo, Messi, Neymar, you know what I'm saying? It's long when you got to go to Young Boys and Genk and you're, you're one nil down. You know, like that. <laughs> Snowing and that. It's long, innit? But in the day, it's all about the right attitude and organization, you know what I'm saying? So I don't want to get too gassed. You're guessing me. You know what you're doing. You know what you're doing. And again, I, I live I live in Hull. I live in like the <laughs> east east part of the country, and people I could hear people kind of quoting that mm. on on the on on the streets, and I was like, wow, this is this is a moment. So for me, I'm really pleased that the success on the pitch really feels like it's organically grown with the success off the pitch. Mm. There's something weird that's happened. There's something weird as well, though. That I think that's there's almost like there's there's the blackness that broke through, mm. there's also the blackness that was undeclared. What I mean by the undeclared blackness is like, when you had like Graham Taylor naming a majority black team for Aston Villa, right? And then you had like Arsene Wenger more recently just basically naming a team that was like, I think like nine out of 11 players were black. Yeah. But he didn't say anything about it. And like, when because actually I think Wenger knew it was like very subversive. He was laying the foundation for stuff like 2018. Because Wenger's like, if I talk about this, it will be a thing. Yeah. But if you watch that Wenger um, film, Invincible, where he talks about, I was really proud of creating a multicultural team which brought together the best of the English or the British virtues and the European virtues, the continental virtues. Wenger was like doing that in a very subversive way. Like it was, you know, like the Fast and the Furious movies are like the most diverse movies ever seen and they're like massive blockbusters. Mm. But the trick is they don't call them diversity movies. Like Arsenal was a diversity team. So Wenger was almost like, show don't tell. Yeah. So when Black Panther came out, people were ready for it. In the same way that someone like Didier Drogba, Didier Drogba, I always talk about this, Didier Drogba, like the forefather of like 
the respect that like black Africans got mm. nationwide. Because before Drogba, people forget, people would laugh at the accent. They'd laugh at it, right? Yeah. I think I wrote a piece, I wrote a piece with Versus about this. Drogba basically the forefather in all those playgrounds, like the African accent, the thick accent was a joke. And then Drogba goes on Graham Norton, the Jerry Curl. Late night TV with a Jerry Curl and a suit and all of a sudden no one's laughing anymore. And I honestly think that without Drogba, you don't get this whole wave of respect. Because all of a sudden, African accents go from being the butt of jokes to eventually being the soul of a J-Hus record to being like the core of Afrobeats. Like people take the thing they're ashamed of and put it front and center. That happened with blackness culturally. And the 2018 moment, absolutely. The Nike advert was funny because, not funny as in, it's like there's, the milestone is always when big money finds it safe to invest, right? And the big money really, really moved. I mean, the big money moving from Gucci to Jack Grealish is extremely interesting. Mm. It's extremely interesting because if you look at like, who is that? If you had to do like a Gucci 11 in the Premier League and like who are the most 11 Gucci players by position, Grealish doesn't get in the team. Grealish is not like a Gucci. If you're thinking about the energy of like what Gucci is, the street meets that, Grealish is not actually that. And it's very interesting that, like, for example, someone like Alonso Maximan mm-hmm. doesn't get that deal. And the man is literally Gucci FC. And the man is balling out. In Gucci. <laughs> right. right. So it's very interesting how, how do I say this? No, let's just be frank. It's very interesting how blackness is, black culture is palatable, but sometimes black people are not. Mm. It's so interesting how that's in capitalism. You know, let's, if we're going to get into it, the job of capitalism is to separate the originator from the the beneficiary, mm. right? That's the job, and it's so interesting. Just the Gucci thing is fascinating in terms of like the obvious choice for that for me is Sir Maximus. And here's the funny thing: I think he's a better advert. I think Sir Maximus is a better advert for Gucci because look at him this season; he's playing Gucci football, right? It's not only like stylish; it's exceptionally effective. Yeah. Like even the runs he's making at Pep. I mean, not to get into the football tactics too much, but like. <laughs> The way the man is making diagonal runs at the guts of the Man City um, defense midfield, that is like a blueprint. You know, like in those uh, alien alien invasion movies when the alien invades Earth, right? And they just sink one they, they sink one ship, and they're like, "Listen, these are the coordinates. This is what you have to do." Like the moment Sir Maximum destroys City like that, those coordinates are beamed all over the Premier League, and now you're seeing copycats. Yeah, you're seeing City are looking vulnerable because of that. Mm-hmm. But he's a Gucci he's a Gucci footballer, but he didn't get rewarded, and that's very interesting. Yeah. He didn't get that deal. Yeah. Sorry, I won't, I won't give up on this. This is my <laughs> What is it that Dwight says in the office? That the way to make something popular is get black people to do it first. So white people copy and then convince black people not to do it anymore. <laughs> <laughs> wow. <laughs> that is a tale as old as time. Exactly. <laughs> the thing with... That is unreal. That's wow. Yeah. The, the thing with Gucci is... God rest his soul, Virgil panicked high fashion because not only have you got a black man here, you've got a black man here who understands black culture and is authentically within black culture and LV were just doing what they wanted mm. with any brands that they wanted. And from his first runway, people did not know what to do. And so I think now when you're seeing all these sort of different collabs with these high fashion brands, now he's sort of gone they can just chuck the money anywhere yeah almost so to speak so gucci obviously did the thing with jack grealish and they, they, they it's their sort of response to 
Virgil authentically inserting black faces and black creators um, within high fashion is just to go to any kind of form of otherness. Mm -hmm. So I guess for white audiences that were previously like, oh, this is something different within high fashion. Okay, here's a white working class boy from... from yeah, it makes sense. Um, it's the closest... And it's almost a sort of the lowest barrier to entry, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. And here's, here's yeah. The, sorry, here's the train guy, who you know is so different, oh, and, and everyone loves France. Yeah, and everyone yeah. loves Francis. So it's that's been their way to sort of combat. They're like, well, you know, we we can't authentic, we can't we we can't or don't want to make that obvious connection to Alan St. Maximum, but we can give you this other type of otherness, which is gonna you know, which is gonna be just as as intriguing, I guess. I mean, it goes, all of what we're talking about goes to, I think, a, a bigger central point, which is that the thing that's being said is that without changing attitudes, systems, and structures, which actually means people, you're always going to come up with the same issues. If you think back to, I'm old enough to remember the start of the Premier League, and when I think about the players that were considered cult heroes, you had um, Tony Yeboah at, at Leeds, um, Peter Nudlove, uh, I think Coventry, um, and the, these were guys who were winning games. Obviously, God rest his soul, Dalian Atkinson at, at, at Villa, um, and it was almost this thing of like, you can look. I look back at it now as an older man and go, it was almost like some of these coaches were going, "Tell you what, those those covered boys aren't too bad, are they? Let's get a few more of them in." But there was still this sense that they were novelties because JJ Acocha is considered a novelty and Ronaldinho is obviously one of the greats, but there was this sense that, you know, he's a playful character. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that the, all the conversation that we ha have coming back and Musa, I'm so glad that you kind of pinned it back to capitalism is how can we have the thing without having the person? Mm. How can I get your labor without mm. giving you anything? And, Bingo. and, and, you know, if we kind of do go on to talk about, um, women's football if we go on to talk about anything with the fa i always go look at the board you know they 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 will now say well you know a quarter of our board is non-white because they've got thorough win in there uh, rapinda baines marcus eri and jamie mcanoof it's like but i'm not you know if any if this trust government is going to teach us anything and it's going to teach us it hard <laughs> with 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 a <laughs> I nearly said something. <laughs> I, nearly, I nearly got myself cancelled in my own podcast. <laughs> but if it's going to teach us anything, is that kind of all, not all skin folk are kin folk, and just because somebody shares the same skin, if their if their ways of thinking aren't aligned to the people that they look like, it doesn't make a difference. Mm. In um, fact, it's worse because it's a cover. It can be. I mean, I I've actually written an essay about this because a lot of people are like, oh my god, like. Not all black people have to think the same, you know, we're individual thinkers. And I was like, hang on a minute. Okay, like, dial that back. Here's the thing. The cynicism of people, the cynicism of unnamed ethnic minority politicians is the cynicism for them to go in front of a camera and say, because I am an immigrant, mm. this, this is the final word. And that is, ex that's actually, I'll name one. Pretty Patel gave that speech and she said, as the daughter of immigrants, yeah. I, won't, I won't take lectures in the Metropolitan uh, North London elite. Mm -hmm. I mean, first of all, it's anti-Semitic dog whistle, but the point being like, that whole thing as a daughter of immigrants, more people drowned in the channel under her watch than had ever drowned before. More refugees drowned during her watch than had ever drowned before. So there's a big thing about people of color saying, because we're people of color, this cannot be an oppressive policy to people of color. Yeah. That's a big, big deal. And so 
it's good. It's important to put a pin in this. We're talking about blackness in football and sort of going all over the place. But in terms of talking about the corrosive effect, the damaging effect that capitalism has on progress, racial progress in football, we have to talk about that. We have to talk about the fact that, like, sometimes, unfortunately, like, no, look, well, this is kind of racism 101 now. You all know this, but obviously, there's many times in history where racism has been directly opposed to the progress of black people. And part of this conversation, the wider conversation about racism in football is how do we align, forget it, how do we align, how do we prioritize the rights of black people ahead of capitalism at certain points? And I think we're still figuring out how to do that. I think we're still failing to do that. One way um, we're seeing that is, I think we spoke, touched on previously, the sort of the emergence of black creators, black voices using the internet to have their own say unfiltered and outside of some of the traditional systems and you know like we said some of the brands are sort of latching on to that but I feel like nowadays more than ever they are fighting to black, black voices in 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 media in sports in fashion are fighting to sort of retain a bit more control of what they're doing and I, you know we've, we've mentioned Mayo um sort of the mutual friends of ours I, that man is uh he's a he's a bit of an inspiration to me the way he's blown and the voice he's had. Um, and I see Versus is a real, it's a really interesting case study because as a copywriter myself, there are certain ways you are expected to write. Mm -hmm. mm. There are certain ways you're expected to talk in marketing and Versus pretty much just tore up all the manuals, tore up all the rule books and spoke directly to the people that it needed to. Mm. now you're yeah. seeing it's being copied by pretty much every brand but it you know it's 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 they're all cheap imitations and you're seeing the way uh mayoa and versus the brand are able to grow into doing longer form editorial longer form narrative because they see the authenticity Bukeo osaka sees that this is a brand which aligns with the way I think and the way I am, and it's people like me, and it's from the same communities as me, that is in itself like a, a place which I I didn't think we'd be necessarily like five years ago, and yeah, mm. I see it as a real, real sort of point of inspiration. There are of course consequences like this, and we I mentioned black fishing earlier on, um, and I feel like you were you had something to say about that. <laughs> Oh, well, okay. First of all, I just want to say a big um, a shout out to Callum Jacobs because, you know, he does the Caracom magazine, which really looks at, you know, the place of blacks in culture and in football culture. And Callum kind of called this out. He was basically like, black culture, I think in his magazine, one of the issues he said, black culture basically is being represented in a way that is inaccurate. Well, fundamentally, it's because it's being produced by by middle-class white people in some cases mm. who are basically like, you know, there are, there are certain times when I looked at certain websites and I was like, hang on a minute, that is not written by anybody that actually has black friends. <laughs> I don't mean that in a kind of, I don't mean that in a kind of, and I, when I say black friends, I mean specifically working class black yeah. friends. Like mm. that is not, you know, when we talk about football culture and black culture, I think working class, we yeah. can't forget the class analysis. And I saw this and I was like, this is like off. And Callum, to his credit, wrote a piece about it, which led to, as far as I can see, change, significant change in the industry. Like, one of the most significant articles ever written about that concept. And I think there's always this danger of, you know, there's a, there's a big conversation about cultural appropriation all the rest of it. Look, it's, it's actually even not that deep. It's basically like, are you stealing, 
ideas. And I don't mean copying or paying homage because I mean wholesale stealing identities, accents under like, you know, false, under, under, under sort of false premises and then making tons of money out of it and giving black people nothing. <laughs> and I think that is a, that, that has been a massive problem. The beauty of it now is because people are so vigilant with TikTok and Twitter and Instagram, it's much harder for that to kind of happen now. Mm. But the backlash is, I don't know how your impression is, but the backlash on that stuff is like almost instant these days. Yeah, the, the receipts are there. <laughs> the receipts, oh my God, the receipts are there. Yeah, yeah. People are- 10 year, old, 10 year old tweets coming back up, 10 year old tweets. But some go, oh, like it was just banter. Well, yeah, buddy, you were 19 when you said that. Like 19 is old on the internet. Like if you're 29 now and you're writing racist stuff 10 years ago, like 19 is old on the internet. So yeah. It's like but the, it's- um, the Capitol Records thing. Did you guys hear about that? No, There's that? None. So there, you know how there are those AI generated pop stars oh, and singers I did and all that? See this. So there was one, um, FN Mika, very hood rapper, <laughs> and was going to be signed by Capitol Records, just full of all the, you know, racist stereotypes and N word this and black that and murder this and found out not a single person behind that programming was black. So Capitol Records is like, nope, 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 nope. <laughs> of course. But know. the internet is the reason, the internet yeah. is the reason why they were like, oh, let's pump the brakes on this because people were like, um, hold on, hold on right there. We just do a little bit of research. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And I th- just like, <laughs> honey, jump on onto the back of what you were saying there, Musa. Like I, I mentioned earlier about the um, Mo Gilligan, um, Skit the Roadman footballer. And and mm-hmm. I love that, but I tell you what I haven't loved is the million roadman X things that there are on social media, mm-hmm. where it's basically the, the sketch is, I am not black, but I am going to speak in this affected way mm-hmm. and get popularity off of it because people are going to see that the way that I present it is inherently ridiculous. And and that's that always kind of sticks in the craw doesn't it where it's like yeah when 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 uh when mo does it when like a munya does it there is a sense that there there is paying homage to it there is a love to it um mm. and then when you see kind of you know josh from eton or whatever do it mm. you know, oh there God. is a real <laughs> sense that actually you're here just to um you know carve money out of this yeah. and and be and be palatable um, and I've and I I worked in that kind of satirical space for what about eight months eight months to a year and it was so funny because um, I I did a parody of of Boris Johnson um, I know you can't see me but I I really don't look anything like him um, <laughs> well, you're really damn playing this one worry, you're on worry, Netflix worry, man you're on Netflix don't worry I'm well aware I'm well aware but but the thing is there would there would every now and then there'd be somebody in my in my comments that would take aim at it but as i always said you can't i'm not putting on a wig i'm not doing up whiteface you know exactly who i'm doing so any issues you have will be with the impression Bingo. itself and mm. you know yes i'm doing an impression of boris johnson vocally but let's be honest like i'm only ever like two gin and tonics away from sounding like him normally. <laughs> like, let's, 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 so it's so funny, I, I kind yeah. of act as well, and and I knew it was gonna happen one day, it came across my screen today that there was a role going in uh, 
Top Boy. And the joke that I always make is I'm going to have to leave this country because if you see me in Top Boy, they are scraping <laughs> the bottom. I'm, I just, I'm, this is not an accident. Yeah, if I, if I get cast, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll go on, my brethren. You know? <laughs> right, exactly. But, but so I think that kind of, that's, that's something that I, I, I saw and I noticed. Yeah. And I also know that there were, way, there were things that I could have done when I was playing that character, ways that I could have made it more palatable ways that yes. I could have grown it, which I was deeply uncomfortable with. And I stopped it. I, I, I'll tell, I've never, I don't think I've ever really said this before. The reason I stopped this is because you get, you get this influx of followers. And I started looking into who these followers yeah. are, the amount mm. of people who were at, on their bios, who were Tories. And I'm like, I, I'm, this is, no, 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 no. <laughs> it's the old Dave Chappelle, it the people Chappelle. laughing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, oh, the Dave Chappelle, yeah. Like I, I, I literally kind of, was saying that you're a death cult. I, I was literally I could, like was saying the Tories are a death cult, and they're like, yeah. And and it's that thing about you never want somebody to be like, yeah, no, do me next. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Because the thing is, the challenge is to make people look in the mirror, isn't it? Mm -hmm. And examine their own prejudice. And the problem with Boris Johnson is, if you're here's and this is not a criticism of your comedy at all. It's more that like Boris Johnson looks in the mirror and sees a clown, right? So if you're presenting a clown with satire you're actually coming off the surface. The trick is actually to dig beneath it. And the only time I saw Boris Johnson rattled was when someone talked about him uh, basically arranging to have a journalist beaten up. The mm. Raya Scuffy. So it's almost like you need to puncture the bubble, right? And I think the thing about, that's what Mo Gilligan, I think Mo Gilligan experienced that as well. Not could, I love his work. I love Mo Gilligan and I love Munya. And I wonder if there's been a moment where they've got more popular. They've gone like, hang on a minute. Cause you know, Munya was just doing that stuff, the unknown, unknown P, like mm -hmm. just doing it for fun. Unknown T is like an amazing rapper, like with one of the best, he's got my favorite flow in UK music, right? Mm. But here's the thing, when Munya started doing it, it was from a place of like, yeah, just making fun of black rap and he wasn't, but the implications of it, as a fan base gets big and you have more kind of like, you know, let's see, Tory, Tory sort of types watching it and laughing at it, they're actually mocking black people through Munya. Mm. And, there was, you know, there was a moment, Mo Gilligan posted a really funny video on, it was, a, it, I liked the video, but it was a, a video about uh, road men, but it was on like, I think GMB, Good Morning Breakfast or something, and Good Morning Britain. And I think the thing about that, he took it down because the things that are funny with context among black people aren't as funny out of context in the home counties in Hertfordshire, where they mm. don't know any black people. Mm. So they don't know any other black people. So like, you know, a fam an extended family, an extended working class black family have all types of people, right? Mm. You'll have road men, you'll have people that like do whatever, you'll have a mix of people. Mm. But when the only, when the first point of contact with the wider white society is, is, a, is a road man, it becomes a problem because it's like, that becomes the first point of call. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. And I, yeah, want, totally. I, I, I wonder if Mo Gilligan, if you look at like the range, they do so much material, they've kind of slightly retired that, that stuff a bit. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. That makes sense. Yeah, it makes complete sense. I mean, even from a personal standpoint, I remember, so I grew up in Palm Desert, California, where I was mm. a singular black person and I'm only like a third black, but like the only black person for miles. And um, I remember going through the whole Dave Chappelle phase where all my white friends were felt like it was appropriate to quote Dave Chappelle at me. Um, mm. And yeah, and that was like right before he he went on his trip to Africa. So I was in the thick of the the audience that made him <laughs> get out right. of there. And I'll tell you the other thing, Musa, is kind of what, yeah. what you were saying there about, about Mo and Munya. My, my experience was is that 
it got to a point where it didn't matter what I said because yes. still, it oh. was just like I remember I remember doing one and it was after um George Floyd dies at the hands of the police and then there was a case in England where a black man had his um had a policeman uh, kneel on his neck and and I did one in the style of Boris Johnson where I said you know um I'm absolutely disgusted about what's happened to George Floyd if it happened over here there would of course be an inquiry to find out what that ragamuffin's neck did to that poor police officer's knee that yeah. is a very <laughs> that's a very very harsh thing to yeah. say and people are like that's hilarious I'm like is it yeah. is it is it funny like if you actually listen to what I am saying yeah that's that's and so I was like well it doesn't matter what I say Yes. Because you've just decided that this is all a joke. And that's one of the things I kind of, where I was just beginning to get more and more uncomfortable where because people now just accept that I'm in this joke space, yes. I can't actually make any kind of like impact. And I, and I want to make impact. You've made a great point. It's about framing, isn't it? It's about, um, this is one thing about like how to engage with discourse about race and football, right? Very often I don't engage with it because I'm like, you don't actually want a conversation about racing football. What you want is a black person to be on the spot, to squirm and make it go away. Mm. And so what I then do is, for example, the Raheem Sterling thing, I wrote a piece about Raheem Sterling for The Guardian and unusually I had named names basically. I called out a lot of people. And the funny thing was, nobody came back on it. Mm. Nobody bit back because the receipts were so extensive that people mm. couldn't really take my head off. But and the reason I mentioned that is because sometimes when you're trying to frame an, a, a, a critique or an attack effectively, you need to hold people's record up to them. Mm. The problem with Boris Johnson, the thing to realize Boris Johnson is Boris Johnson is almost like kind of, have you watched those Pacific Rim movies? Oh yeah. He's like the kaiju they send up from the bottom of the, from the drift. He's a kaiju they just send up to like, and then we have to fight him off with giant robots and we're distracted. And I think the thing with Boris Johnson is you have to like, um, you got to fight him on the same level that he's fighting you. Like, so you see this, uh, this Liz Trusting that happened, this big sketch that Joe Lysa, have you seen yeah. it? Yeah. Like, yeah, so the way that he does it is so clever. What he does is he doesn't he doesn't mock Boris Johnson, he doesn't mock Liz Truss. He basically makes any support of Liz Truss look absurd. Yeah. That's the genius because you can't mock Johnson. He's a clown, it's a facade. What you've got to do is make people feel dirty or unpleasant about co-signing him. Does that make sense? So that the most brutal thing I said, so I sent doing Black Lives Matter, I sent a tweet and it basically said, um, the reason you know they're tearing down all these statues of people that um enslaved Africans, right? And I said, I've got a theory. The reason that so many of these middle-class white people, this specific group of middle-class white people are upset about these statues being torn down is that for them, it's like someone setting fire to their family photo album. Mm -hmm. And I sent this and the amount of backlash was fascinating. <laughs> and someone said, she sent the tweet to a friend of hers and just, oh my God, this is brutal. And the guy who's lived, who lives in Bristol was like, yeah, he's actually accurate. The backlash is because we're ashamed. So the trick is like almost what is the thing that makes them short circuit. And I don't know what that answer is, but I think, yeah, and this is back to the race thing as well. I don't know what the answer is, but in my experience, it's like you have to almost go deeper than the surface that Boris is giving us, if that makes sense. Mm. Anyway, sorry. Slight diversion into blackness generally, but I thought it was worth mentioning. No, absolutely. And, uh, you know, it's basing it in the current with that Joe Lyster example is, is perfect just because it's been so visible as, you know, the whole charade falls apart when you yes. can't defend a point, yes. which is the point that you've been making for, for many, many years. Yeah, exactly. I'd like to talk about 
the changing face of the England football team and particularly behind the personalities. So we, you know, we mentioned in Undergar Southgate 2018, we've had mm. like black tees before with, with lots, of, lots of different black faces, lots of mixed race faces. What we didn't have until Southgate, I felt, was the personalities who mm. who mm. really sort of owned their blackness and obviously spoke about things which mattered to them, but they were allowed to be unashamedly them. Right. Um, I mean, no more words need to be said about Marcus Rashford, but it's it's the development and the emergence of people like Tyrone Mings to me, mm. which is the biggest sort of credit to Gareth Southgate and the biggest mm. um, indicator, I guess, of, of how far that space came around the England team that he felt comfortable to be himself. Yeah, and let's, you know, let's give some, obviously we'll get, to, to quote Moose's podcast, we'll give a flower to Gareth Southgate, but let's mm. give some flowers to um, the generation that came before because, you know, if you look at the England back four from like, 99 to 2003 mm. Ashley Cole one of the most reviled footballers for what because he he married an English rose <laughs> you know this 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 dirty sewer rat married our English rose who then later on kind of had a whole racist thing let's not get into later that later on um <laughs> Um, you had Sol Campbell this absolute trait like the man was receiving death threats because he did a Luis Figo yeah. <laughs> um, a lower level Luis Figo I'm not saying that Arsenal and Tottenham and yeah. Barca and Real but um, you yeah. had um, Rio Ferdinand who kind of you know he had the ban for missing some drug tests and all of a sudden oh he's mm. a drug G he's a drug G and you go and they were all classed as flashy yeah mm -hmm. flashy players but mm. but let's let's be let's be completely honest that that era of the this golden generation how many of them were undoubtedly the best player in their position in the world it's only Ashley Cole and you could make an argument for Rio Ferdinand but those three why did those three players get the absolute most hate? I think genuinely I think that Rio is one of the reasons behind the black players in the current English well, team being as themselves as they are at the moment because from when Rio was on TV speaking the way he does mm -hmm. and Rio mm. isn't as polished as a lot of the others. Oh, what do you mean when you say polished? You know like certain people like Gary Neville when he came onto TV, if you look at him when he started being a pundit mm -hmm. to now, mm -hmm. the way that he speaks is so different because he's been media trade, vocal trade and all these kind of different things. Rio's just Rio mm. and he gets onto TV and you see that very, very different to what a lot of people were like before Rio came on TV. And I think him doing that, him being himself, has kind of empowered a lot of the players to be like, well, he's there, he's in that space. Then when I go into an interview, yes, I might have had a bit of media training, but I'm still allowed to be me. And mm. mm -hmm. um, yeah, the things they went through paved the way for where we are now, yeah. you know, just, well, to also touch on uh, Kieran Dyer, just for a minute here. Um, he was like he was like he was a player in that generation. Never really had a position. Was injured a lot. Was in that squad in two thousand two when you know Brazil puts out. But to find out like now after the fact that he went through this awful sort of child abuse and he was he was known as this blinking and he had yeah. the, the Boya thing. And I've seen him on a few podcasts now. He's been on True Geordie and he's he's been through a lot and he's, he's comfortable to talk about that now. And he's working as a coach and. I just wish some of those players could have been themselves like this generation yeah. now could have yeah. been themselves. And maybe, yeah. you know, they all did phenomenal things. They could have been even better. Uh -huh. There was a price to pay though for being 
unapologetic. Mm-hmm. You look at like, like Rio Ferdinand lost his England career, didn't he, over yeah, racism? He, did, yeah. mm. he, learned, he, he lost his racist, he lost his England career over a racist remark shouted at his brother from a distance. Mm-hmm. Like yeah. that's what, and that he lost it. It's wild. Like, mm. and look at Ian Wright, like Ian Wright paid a price for sure. Yeah. For sure. Like the black players in that generation, the late, mid, late nineties, they basically had to like keep their heads down. There's that story that was um, in the Guardian uh, years ago, it was reported, Graham Taylor uh, was reportedly told, it wasn't, it was in, it was, it was an allegation, but it was reported in the Guardian, the allegation that Graham Taylor selected, I think he selected like six black players in the England team in the mid nineties. And there was a rumor that he was basically told not to do that again. Mm. Like that, that is the level, the fact that that, the fact that that rumor was reported in the Guardian is fascinating in itself. The fact that it got that far, that people are like, actually, we could stand this up, this is a thing that is. So that level of, you know, those black players from previous generations, they didn't necessarily have the bandwidth to be, well, they could speak out, like black people can always speak out, but the consequences are not what they were before. Yeah. And even Rio Ferdinand, who was himself, my God, the man suffered. And even, what was it that someone said, uh, was it Gary Neville? And this is, what's painful for me is, so often racial progress has to come when, when middle-class white people get it. Mm. Like you, you, have to, you have to bring them on side. And that's the frustrating thing. Like you shouldn't have to wait for men to get it for women to have like, yeah. to be free from misogyny, right? Mm. And the Gary Neville quote about, oh yeah, like they never got love. They never got the love like we did by the black players that of course we got hate. Rooney got it, Beckham got it, but they never quite gave Ashley Cole the adulation. Ashley Cole was probably the best left back in the world for mm. 10 years mm. or 10 years yeah. like he was the only left back who probably could have replaced roberto carlos at one point yeah he's the only left back what ronaldo saw the ronaldo basically like got him once and he never got him again, again. 2006 yeah. he lived in his back pocket <laughs> and he never never rent free you know because he was like look you just have have the keys to it you can come in and out when you like <laughs> ronaldo, ronaldo didn't <laughs> where's the lie yeah <laughs> yeah. yeah but the, the ashley cole if ashley cole had been like and he's a good looking dude, right? If Ashley Cole was like equal looks, white dude, like what, what would his future, what would his career been like? Yeah. Because what did he, again, what did he actually do wrong? He, and, and, it, and it wasn't that he divorced Cheryl Cole. You're absolutely right. It's because he got with her. Because, and the reason I say this is because the stats that came out, the biggest, the, the most racist abuse leveled at the black players in the England team before the final, it was Bakayo Saka and Marcus Rashford. Mm-hmm. Well, and that is extremely revealing because those two men are not, flashy or whatever they're basically like and that's this is the dirty secret they are the black men most likely your daughter is most likely to bring hope yeah. and the, the black men who are nice well turned out one of them's a church goer god-fearing boy so basically the only objection you could have to one of those boys dating your daughter is that they are black mm. yeah. and i think that's where the rage came from and that has part that nuance has been completely not yeah it's been sidetracked actually it's been sidetracked it's not the problematic black guys that get the most abuse. It's the it's it's the clean shaven, well spoken ones because they're the threats, mm. actually. Mm. Yeah, like the Balotellis of the world when they're so big <laughs> and so ridiculous. Like yeah. mm. it almost becomes entertainment. So they yes. become sort of safe from the harsher criticisms because they're like, oh well, they're kind of a bad boy anyway. So Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and then, well, for me as like a black woman and especially as a United supporter, <laughs> seeing, um, you know, Rashford and, and Saka take those those 
penalties and then like I, I just knew what was coming. Like yeah. I knew yeah. what was coming as I watched it. I, I'll never forget after that game because and just 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 really really quickly on that. Um, yeah, no, go for it, go for it. Musa, your your latest book as well. This this is something that I really took from that. When you talk about the dream in that book, I remember leaving the pub that I was watching the match in after that game had finished. And it's mm. the only time I've ever walked from the station to my flat without my headphones in because mm. I was sure some British Nazis were just going to be on the streets now looking to take something out on the nearest Saka they could find, the nearest Rashford they could mm. find. Um, and, and that's one of those things that really does jump out the second something goes wrong, right? We, we will get onto that. I just wanted to say, yeah, it's not by accident I say the rebranding of the England football team because once you have those people like Rashford who are world well turned out who are you know Saka is God fearing who, who who does speak well for a black but how many tattoos does he have yeah once you have <laughs> those people that's when money affy mick that's when the brands come in that's when they end up yeah. all over the posters yeah. that's when they you know they want to get them on the one show or whatever and what you know tall poppy syndrome which just keep building them up and building them up and building them. but look how quiet they get once they get their deals look at hudson adoy the man got his deal and bounced yeah yeah mm. subterranean subterranean there are people that try someone's trying to get in touch with me the other day i was like oh how do i get in touch and i was like well he just quite they keep themselves themselves yeah and, then, and this is it's not a criticism and then uh sancho sancho got his deal 350k a week and then boom quiet mm. like people are learning yeah. And here's the thing, actually, there's no problem in that. I mean, like, look, David Silver didn't say anything in 10 years at City, or eight, 10 years. He didn't say anything. David Silver gave one interview on his way out of City, I think, and he was gone. So actually, maybe it's the privilege of, like, maybe, the, maybe true progress is for black footballers to just make their money and just say nothing to the media. Mm. Because so often they're expected to, like, you know, do this. Hang on a minute. How are you meant to lead a civil rights movement when you're, like, trying to, like, score 20 goals a season and win the Champions League? Mm. <laughs> it's... You know what I mean? Raheem Sterling is, like expected to do X, Y, Z, and that man's gone quiet as well. Sterling's gone quiet now. Yeah. I mean, Sterling is a fascinating one because he has been reviled from the start. I remember mm. him being at Liverpool and they were like, well, he's a money grabber. He, he just, because obviously he went for the biggest transfer fee for a teenager at that time. Mm. And I just remember watching it going, hold on, the, the life of a football player is not very long. Mm. You should, you know, nobody kind of criticized David Beckham for Kind of going from United, like who's David Beckham played for? United, Real Madrid, PSG, and uh, Los Angeles. Well. Like he has, like, and and if you look at him now, he's out there. David Beckham is so famous, we forget all the horrendous stuff he said to ensure that Qatar got the World Cup. <laughs> like that's how famous David Beckham is. We we forget that he was one of the main guys to sports. Which Al Musa got quiet when I said that. <laughs> but but no, I'm joking. But but it's that thing of like David Beckham has did what um, uh, Sterling did. I don't I don't remember the I don't remember the stories about is you know is David Beckham having a tattoo going to lead to the downfall of society? Like when it was revealed, shockingly revealed that. Uh, Raheem Sterling had a tattoo. Is he the reason for gun violence? Like right. it just, it just. Right. There's a different. There's a different standard, and I always find it interesting. And 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 this is going back to what you're saying, you. So the reason they get quiet is because, you know, nobody wants to have like, you want to be a striker, not score in two games, and then somebody brings up your wages, and you and you're out here trying to advocate for children having food, right. The, and this is the thing when when Lukaku was at United and they were singing a song about him being well endowed, I was like, I said, watch out for that because that's going to go the other way. Mm. Like, 
when they disappoint, when Lukaku had that incredible Euros and then he did that pose in the dressing gown and I worried for him. I feared for him because I'm like, my man, they're coming for you. And I was like, you know what? Flex as much as you can, as much as you like. But that's why I was always sad when Lukaku left Inter because I'm like, you found a place where you could be happy and respected and appreciated. It's not easy to get that as a black foot, as a black player in football yeah. where everyone's like, like Tammy at Roma. Tammy should just sit tight at Roma for a few more years. Don't make the wild dash back to the Premier League. Don't rush back. Don't hurry back. I know there's a place waiting maybe from Chelsea, but my gut instinct is almost like, just chill at Rome for a while. Let the endorsements come in because you're loved there and you're respected. And I think there's something about being a black player at a club where you have that love and that support. Mm. There's something to be said for sitting tight. I'm not saying like, you know, be excessively grateful. I'm not saying like, you know, but I'm saying that configuration of a support that has your back, it's not that common a lot of places, I would say, even now, if that makes sense. Absolutely. And this is that sort of conditional identity we're talking about associated with the Euros and it just takes a missed penalty. It takes you getting six touches in a game and suddenly you're not the hero anymore. Yeah. You know. Well, we saw like, when I was in Germany, like we saw that like, the N-word, I was, I, I screenshotted it. When I, I screenshotted the N-word, um, there was, you know, the trending thing and it said 448, I'll never forget. 448,000 um, tweets containing the N-word. Oh, that, 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 wasn't, that wasn't even the end of the night. 448,000. And I saw it. I was like, here, here we are. This is who we are. And like, who was the guy that got sacked? The head, he was like the commercial property manager at some like big letting agent mm. on Facebook, like sending all this horrific, you know, Facebook was even more of a sewer than Twitter that night. Well, it generally is, to be honest. <laughs> um, yeah, it was horrific. And that was, it was almost, it was scary because it unleashed... I think I tweeted about this and um, I basically was like, you wanted Blackpool to bring you glory as if they were your servants. Mm. You realize they're watching the black footballers different from the white footballers. White footballers are like, you know, there is a class element, but still like there are representatives. Yeah. Yes, they're working class. Yes, they're beneath us, but I'll talk about the middle class white viewer, racist here. Yes, they're the working class, but we still identify with them to an extent they're white. Whereas the black players, it was a different relationship. Mm. It was a master-servant relationship. And it was almost like they were watching the TV like it was FIFA and they were controlling the black players. And the moment the black players disappoint, dis disappoint or malfunctioned, they were no longer English citizens. Mm. They were subhuman. And the same thing happened in 2012. Remember, Ashley Young uh, and Ashley Cole yeah. in 2012. Same thing mm, it's on social as well. Same abuse. People got away with it then because one, it was earlier. Two, those two, those two had bad reputations undeserved yep. bad reputations mm. but those who have bad reputations no one really said anything yeah right i find right. it happy uh, i um i uh, so i want to talk about paul pogba and graham Sooners, mm. and i find that relationship so fascinating because i the closest parallel i can draw is almost like um megan markle and piers morgan <laughs> where it's just like it just seemed wow. like graham Sooners. Like, it didn't matter. Like, he'd be looking at West Ham versus Stoke and he'd be like, the problem is, it's Paul Pogba. <laughs> and you, and, and, but the thing is, I never saw Paul Pogba really respond. And I think there is something to be said for Paul Pogba. And he kind of, I think the reason he got so many people in their feelings and this idea that he was a flop at Man United, it's like, he's a flop at Man United, but in the middle of him being at Man United, he's gone on and been like a star player for France as they've won the World Cup. And it's, I think there is this, belief in the UK that 
if the average man at the pub could describe their perfect player, it would have like David Batty's face. It, it, you know, it, you know, some hold, five foot six try who doesn't have talent. No, hold tight, Nora Batty. <laughs> <laughs> as, a, as a Leeds fan, Nora was one of our greats in the nineties. So. What a footballer! Beautiful footballer. Actually, a beautiful footballer. Yeah, yeah. Bat, um, Batty. Bat, Batty's funny because Batty could really play. Like people forget, but just. But yeah, all, yeah. all of those, all of those enforcers <laughs> of those days could play. Paul Lins could play. Roy Keane could play. They were, all of these guys who mm. were considered enforcers were actually kind of good footballers. But yeah, yeah. But going back to kind of Sunes and Pogba, mm. I think that Pogba kind of signaled a change also. And I think he had he was obviously a really big player within that United dressing room. And it was almost yeah. like you don't you ignore them. You know, the, I, do you remember there was the uh, video on social media of him in? I think he was in LA with Lukaku, and they were just partying. And I remember, the, I remember seeing some tweets where it's like these guys are on loads of money and they're out there partying. And it's like, yeah, of course, <laughs> that's, that's what they're supposed to be doing. They're young men enjoying it, but then they also kind of forget. I don't know with Pogba if it's because you know he is. He, is, is Pogba Muslim as well? Mm. So it's yeah, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, yeah. so there's all of these different layers on it, and and there was this point made today about um uh edwina curry she she's I, I don't know how much you're following uh uk tv but she too was, too, too too closely so. yeah she was on she was oh, on tv oh. embarrassing herself but um it was um ash Arkar of novara media made the point that the reason that she says that wild stuff is because you reach a certain age where unless you're being controversial you're irrelevant yeah. and i think the reason that paul pogba made graham Sunes so furious is the exact same reason that Meghan Markle makes Piers Morgan furious because they ignore them. I don't, I, they, they're they not invested in British culture. They don't, like Piers Morgan kind of sees himself as some kind of gatekeeper and Graham Sunes has obviously had the Sky Sports gig and it's this idea of like, if he gives you praise and you've made it, but you've got these two outsiders, an American and, and a French, uh, a Frenchman kind of going, I don't, I don't need that. And I think that it's it's all the things a lot of people that we've talked about it's mayo or it's virgil it's yeah. kind of it's it's you musa where it's like no this new media i don't like bakari um uh, saka didn't need doesn't need to go to the telegraph for a puff piece or the daily mail for a puff piece he can go to verses and yeah. and wow. him being who he is will drive traffic there there's something else there's something else going on actually actually do you know what's funny about the soonest i've thought about this a lot over the years obviously as well so i think there's something else going on I don't think it's the Markle Morgan thing. I tell you why. I think it's. Um, I think there is an element of xenophobia. Absolutely. Uh, I also think it's like it's a jealousy, and it's a disappointment. And those. When I say that, I think there's a very complex. When Sunes looks at Pogba, but Sunes won three three uh, European Cups, right? Was he was actually his skill set is one of the most similar to Paul Pogba's of any mm -hmm. midfielder you'll ever see commentating on a new midfielder up and coming, like. Graham Sunis' skill set was otherworldly. The man could play hard as hell. We saw Pogba play like a beast against Uruguay. He was tough as hell. Yeah. Like that's one of the toughest midfields of Bentan Torreira, and they got no change out of him. Pogba Kante was brutal. This is probably my favorite Pogba performance of 2018 World Cup. No, that sounds hipster, but the way that Pogba shut down that whole thing, the way that like when Mbappe picked a fight and ran away to his big brother and Godan, Godan came looking for the smoke and Pogba in the white shirt. Yeah. Pogba, Pogba was like, no, 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 listen, we don't business like that. But, you know what I mean? Pogba had the minerals, right? Pogba has the minerals. So I think what Sunes looks at him, it is jealousy and disappointment through a prism of xenophobia. Mm. 
And weirdly enough, the way that I think Pogba could have played that very early on sounds super cynical. The first time Pogba went up, as soon as went up at Pogba, Pogba's people could have reached out and be like, you know what, like, what you've done in football, we respect it so much, Mr. Sunas. You won three European Cups. Like, your critiques are things that we really respect. Like, Paul has very high standards. So do you. We appreciate that you hold him to account. Like, and that, I think, because then that puts Sunas on his hind legs. Because Sunas is a funny one. He's one of those, like, he's like uh, Clint Eastwood in Gran Torino, right? He's basically unreconstructed, bit xenophobic, bit mm-hmm. grumpy. But actually, if you basically, like, sucker punch him with kindness you mute him to an extent. Mm. Because if you think of the things, here's the thing, Pogba did not succeed at United. The reason he didn't is because I think that Pogba is not actually an alpha. I think he's an alpha for France because he's playing with his mates. But if you think yeah. of Pogba and Lukaku, they're actually victims of blackness in football. They're victims of having to be superheroes and they're actually like, mm. Pogba actually is more of a Robin than a Batman. Mm. He is more of a Robin. He's collaborative. Yes, he's leader in a context. You look at even France, right? He's surrounded by people that take, he took the lead for France. Absolutely, he did. He ran the World Cup final. We saw it for an hour. At the same time, he had Griezmann. He had other people to take the lead. At United, he was expected to be the permanent alpha. Whereas he's kind of like a beta plus alpha minus, yeah. right? He's not a consistent. And at United, the amount of pressure, how do I say this? Uh, I said this to Ryan many times on Stadio. We just talked, we haven't actually ever said it on the podcast, but I'll say it now because, you know, this is the space to share it. There are some footballers where it's like, are they alpha or are they not? Modric, alpha, you don't doubt him. Kroos, mm, not, because Kroos has really big drop-offs. Michael Carrick, not. Uh, Sergio Busquets, alpha. Like, mm. And Pogba, the thing about him was, it wasn't actually the technique, it was the, the mental pressure of having to be the guy yeah. every single... Does that make sense, what I'm saying? Mm. He was yeah. put on a huge pedestal as soon as he... And, so, yeah, and, and Sunas got frustrated because he was like, you need to take it by the scruff of the neck because you have all the skills to be what I was. And maybe I'm jealous because I have to be in a pundit studio and you're earning all this money. You're earning 300 grand a week yeah. and I have to do this punditry. And if I was in your shoes with my mentality, I'd be earning twice what you're earning. So I think it's disappointment, jealousy and xenophobia, if that makes yeah. sense. Uh, w- Sorry, that's my soonest, that's my soonest theory. <laughs> no, it's, I, you make such a good point about the sort of alpha status. When he came through in that Juve team, mm. Pirlo and Marchisio, and it's, it's yes. Juve. So they and Vidal, got, and Vidal, and Vidal, mm. exactly. And then you've got it's Juve, so you've got Juve defenders behind you. You've got Chiellini, you've got Benucci. It mm. couldn't be more set up for Pogba to maximise his skill set and grow as a young player. Going from that to a, a United team, which was ugh. McTominay and Fred. It was no, it was before no. Fred. Oh no, um, what's his your man, the Spanish guy? Um, matter, matter, one matter. But, yeah. but the, Misa, just on, I'm derailing this entirely. I, I, and I, and go for it, go for it, go for it. But it might have been Ryan, it might have been um, Gillian Balagay, but there was, I remember reading this article that said that Paul Pogba is the most misunderstood footballer of his generation. And if he was a five foot nine Spaniard, everything about his play would make sense. And, mm. and I wonder actually if sometimes the issue with black footballers is that we mm. expect them to be destroyers, physical yes. masters in the way that, um, you know, someone like a, a Wilfred Ndidi or... Um, uh, the old defensive midfielder for Chelsea, whose name, Can- not Kante, Makaleli. Uh, and actually he wasn't that player. And and I think that got kind of shown at the Euros where he scores that absolutely amazing goal to put them up 3-1. Hmm. And I remember yes. going, take him off. He's done his job. Go and get your little fetcher. Go and get your, your you know, your little guy who's going to run around and snap into tackles. And it was, it was almost like, I felt that the France coach also mischaracterized him. It's like, he is basically a five foot nine school of Barcelona footballer in the body of a six foot two 
yeah. black guy. And also he he suffers, and this is gonna sound really weird, he suffers from having a long stride. Yes. When you've got a long yes. stride and you're running really quickly, you don't look like you're running really quickly. Yeah. We're gonna right. get, well, it's, he looks languid. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't get into yeah. that. But Yaya Toure suffered from that. Oh, yeah. God, yeah. Yaya Toure was an absolute, like that man. Best player in the world for a He's one of the years. best players I've ever the been man, in the league. The man floated, the man just held down. And when he was bought, oh, he's overrated this and that. So the goal he scored against Sunderland in the, 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 the league oh, cup. It is, it is actually one of the most underrated goals scored in the major 2014, final. I remember it. Yeah. Mm. The man picked out, the man could have, if there was a bucket in the top corner, it would have gone in there. Mm -hmm. Like it was, the, the gap he was aiming at was so small. He was aiming at like the side netting in the top corner and he put it right there and he did that kind of thing routinely. That time that he went, they won the league and he got, I think two goals against Newcastle that was on that, the road. That game. <laughs> Unbelievable. Unbelievable. Supernatural. Supernatural, yeah. And the man played centre-back in a Champions League final. Which we don't talk, we don't talk about that enough. Mm. Man played centre back. Oh my god! Anyway, talking about sort of the role of new media in in, in changing football discourse, and it's less like it's less new media. It's more new media, and we talked about social media being able to sort of pull up the receipts, and we've seen this in the framing of footballers buying houses for their families. So Phil Foden, lovely boy, even mm. lovelier footballer, phenomenal yeah. player. Oh my god! Yeah, bought a house for his mum. Mm. He's, he's a lovely boy of course that's exactly what you do it's what I do it's, you know I look after your mother right not if you're toasting Adara <laughs> Boyer also playing for Man City two million pounds and it obviously it was not he hadn't made the first team yet has he exactly you know I mean? he's getting too big for his boots and he's languid sounds quite uppity to me <laughs> <laughs> all that pace and power no end product <laughs> <laughs> I wish advanced stats were around for Andy Cole because my goodness. But anyway, that's another thing. But yes, the language, sorry, Dan, yeah. the language. Right. Yeah. yeah. And it, it, it's, it was frustrating five, six, seven years ago. And I just feel now we're equipped now to have to, to pull that stuff up. And, you know, we, we talked about sort of, it's a language used where one's greedy and one is flashy and one is selfish and one is really nice and one is, is, is you know your ideal son mm. um the weapon the, the, the language they use is 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 also weaponized to talk about black athletes and coaches mm. and what yeah. they can do and what they can't do so again as we're talking about the strides he's got that sort of he's, he's a lovely lovely mover he's a language mover mm. or is he lazy yeah right exactly. Difference. exactly and you you know you talk about your midfielders your destroyers mm pace and power mm. you you know i'm immediately thinking of jeremy is that all they can do never talked about in terms in terms of intelligence mm. tell them you tell me dom the last black football talked about for the intelligence in mainstream media that's a good like consistently yeah when it was their main attribute yeah yeah mm. you're right that's a good one never never I, I i genuine to this day i'm i'm struggling to answer that that's why sadoff is underrated Oh, Sadoff oh is one of the greats. My goodness, that guy. Mm. Yeah, right. But here's the thing. Sadoff won those Champions Leagues in three different tactical systems. Mm. He won in a diamond. He won in a five. And he won in a, in a two, I think. I think he won in like, he won, no, he won in a three, four, three, in a diamond and then a, in, a, in a five, like in three different clubs under different managers. Like, yeah. And Sadoff was what? He was the youngest ever player to play for the Netherlands at 16. And yet everyone's like, oh, Sadoff's underrated. Well, Modric is not underrated. Mm. Modric is not. 
Modric is the first conversation about Modric's intelligence. Yeah. How, how wily he is. Sadov is like, oh, his physical conditioning, he's a beast. Modric is a beast. Mm. Modric played ice hockey. Modric is tough as hell. Yeah. Like, and I know that, you know, I know Sadov is a big dude. And I know that we talked about Pogba being tough against Uruguay, but there's other aspects. The thing is, Mod Sadov didn't get the props for his other aspects. I've actually got oh, an answer yeah. to the question. Yeah. Sorry, Musa. The one perfect, football perfect. player that I can think of, a black football player that was described primarily for his intelligence was late career Rude Hullet. It was. Even he, even he didn't really get it. You're right. Even he didn't really get it. It was late career though. When he was slow. When he came to, was it, yeah. was it Chelsea he came to? Chelsea. Chelsea and he, and he brought the ball out from centre back and, yeah. and he made this pass. And I, I remember it was, the people talked about his intelligence and his ability to play lots of different positions. And what was yeah. really funny was Desai was in the Premier League at the same time, but because he is a physical specimen, nobody talks about the fact that he could play six positions. It's funny because when you look at these players under, yeah, I love, I love Desai. And you look at Desai, that Champions League final, I actually rewatched it. Of course I did. Just um, a few months ago. <laughs> the, the performance that Desai puts in in 94 in that final is one of the great performances in the sense that he engulfs his opposite man. Like to the point where, you know, like by the end he scores that amazing curving strike and like he's done that. It's like a total domination. It's almost like a shadow, just like, yeah. it's like when Mord like Mordor just rolling over like, you know, Middle Earth. And he's, like Desai is incredible in that match. And if you think of like underrated black footballers, the common theme with all of them is underrated because their intelligence wasn't highly rated. Mm. Like even like Mike Maignon at Milan, like money, we call it, me and Ryan call him Money Mike. Like <laughs> these players, <laughs> Money Mike Maignon, these players, are, you know, they're getting their props now bit by bit. But like something like Koulibaly, for example, Koulibaly like getting his props eventually but they had to sweat for it. Or Sadio Mane at Liverpool. Yeah. The man not, but don't, look, real ones know, Liverpool fans, their credit, the real ones know, but Sadio Mane, it took a long time for that man to get his props for Liverpool. A long time. And it's no coincidence, he's a, he's a dark-skinned black African man. Same with Serena, it's no coincidence. Like oh, yeah. the best thing about Serena, you could be all the power hit you like. You look at tennis, right? How many times have we seen oh, someone that serves a huge amount, but because they're a fast serve without tactics, Surf gets returned. Serena wasn't Serena because of the power. Lots of players have power. Serena was Serena because she understood angles like nobody else. Mm -hmm. So Musa, can I tell you my favorite Serena thing of all time? Mm. A few years ago, the Australian Open put out some really advanced statistics about power hitting in the women's game. Um, mm. And it was when Serena was still winning championships. She was in her thirties, but she was still winning championships. Serena and Venus, in the women's game were not in the top 50 most powerful forehands or backhands. They were not <laughs> in the top 50. And <laughs> I celebrated like I'd won the lottery. <laughs> I just remember, I was showing it to random people on the street. I'm like, how is she winning if it's not with power? It might, uh, like, what is it? She's clearly, not, and she wasn't the quickest around the court either. What it was is, as you say, she was finding angles that nobody else was. She was Hinga. She was Martina Hinga. Yeah, yeah. She was Martina Hinga. Yeah, this is exactly it. But so that was honestly one of my favorite days when I was like, not not Love even it. top 50. You've got some random <laughs> Biela Russia. I don't even know where Biela Russia is. <laughs> like, now, now. <laughs> but, but, no, no, no. That was a joke. I know, I know. Oh, look at you, man. Come in for me. Look at you, man. But this... No, listen, we're, we're protecting our brand. <laughs> <laughs> um, but th these, these conversations, it's cross sports as well, because 
one of, I, I watch cricket as well, and one of the big arguments I'll always have is I will say that any by any objective measure you wish to use, Chris mm. Gale is the greatest cricketer to ever live. If you factor in 2020, and people go, well, he wasn't very good at tests. I was like, the man averaged 40 and played 100 tests. If he played in, if he was English, like the, the day Tuesday would just be called Gale Day. Like, like 100 wow. tests as an opener averaging 40. You, what are you talking about? Um, but what the narrative on him is, you know, I had a big clip someone, you know, I am in a big six and, and <laughs> I am like fries, wings and things. Like, no, no, this guy's a really intelligent cricketer who also took a load of wickets. Think about black goalkeepers. Why? Why was there? Why were there? Is this joke that black goalkeepers weren't very good? This is why on Stadia we have such a kind of obsession with talking about footballing intelligence. Like you know, the first time I interviewed uh, Ian, it was about like, the art of finishing, mm. because I said, "Look, football at the highest level is cerebral." Wayne Rooney would talk about coming off the pitch and being mentally exhausted mm. because you've made so many decisions in ninety minutes. And I've always said, "Look, being an elite footballer is a bit like being an air traffic controller." I tried to land a plane at the same time. Like it's that level of coordination, right? Yeah. And black footballers, you know, like, you know, it's funny because Ronaldinho, black footballer, but then we don't talk about him as a black footballer because Brazilians are racialized in a different way yeah. and all the rest of it. So like, and then Ronaldinho as well, like, oh my God, he's, he's such a trickster, a joker, as if he's not actually being cerebral, as if what he's doing. Well, like, like Wilf Zaha is a good example. I interviewed Wilfried Zaha um, a few years ago and I was very keen to ask him questions that were, that would reveal his footballing intellect. So the first question I asked him, I said was, okay, like, so obviously like Mr. Zaha, I was like, um, when you're playing against a, when you're starting a game, like obviously I was, I said, I was a box standard footballer, right? But even before games, I'd be like, I can't use that trick before a game. I don't want the defender to see it. Like, so obviously you're an elite level. And I said, how long does it take for you to break down a defender to work out what you're gonna do? And he was like, Oh, he goes, five minutes, five minutes. Give me five minutes and I'll try the different tools out and then I'll go to work. I'll just spend the first five minutes just like working him out. Mm. And here's the thing. Messi has never scored, I think, in the first minute of the game because Messi spends the first minute scanning the entire pitch, right? And working out what he's going to do. Everyone calls Messi yes. super intelligent. Mm. I've never, I've very rarely heard Zaha call super intelligent. The way he broke down what he did, he said, the first thing I do is I might use some pace. If I don't have to, if I don't have to use anything other than pace, I'll just skin him all day. But if he's quick as well, then I'll use a particular trick. I'll use balance. And I'll basically employ the skill set within five minutes. And then I'll spend the next 85 minutes going to work. Yeah, mm. That's intelligence. That's in, that's not like, you know, and, but Zaha doesn't get the credit for that. He's, oh, he's like, he's just this kind of like, you know, he just wings it. No, he doesn't wing it. Mm. Like there's, a, there's a point to it. I mean, you you present with Ian Wright and I can't think of a more intelligent footballer of, of his era than Ian Wright. And, you know, I remember there's that, there's that, remember that conversation that went viral with Chris Sutton where he's like, <laughs> you can't get into this club. <laughs> like, um, but Ian Wright, as well as being able to finish, you know, he could finish any way that you want, any way you wanted it, he could give it to you. But mm. if you go back and watch some of his, because I've got some of those old tapes, you know, like, you know, the best of like the 95, 96 season, like V, I'm talking VHS. Yeah. And, and you'll see him like, he, he was dropping back and linking up play long before yeah. kind of people were getting credit for it. And, you know, I wonder if, if he didn't have a, a gold tooth and he didn't smile after he scored goals, would he have more than, is it 27 caps, Ian? That he, he talks about it all the time. Mm, yeah. He talks about it all the time. Like, he was someone who was deeply wronged. I think that if he'd Absolutely. been, I, I do think it was because of the stuff like that. It was the blackness. Yeah. It was too much too soon. It was like, he was basically like what? He was like Eddie Murphy in the 80s. Mm. 
like Eddie Murphy doing Raw and Delirious and Trading Places and just so far ahead of anyone. He was a comet. Ian Wright was a comet. And I'm glad that he's got his, I'm glad he's had his kind of like renaissance, his resurgence, because it was difficult for him. Mm. Um, but now if you look at the way he took people, like we did um, an interview the other day actually, and someone was going, oh, like, what's it like working with Ian? And they kind of wanted the whole, like Ian, the Joker, her, the gold tooth. And I, what's it like working with him? And I, the first answer I said was, I said, if Ian Wright wasn't, in a different life, Ian Wright would have been a barrister. If he didn't have the gift to be a footballer, he could have been a barrister. And they burst out laughing. They stopped because they're like, I'm a qualified lawyer. I know what I'm talking about. And I've seen sharp minds. And, something. and Ian Wright, I said, you can give this man a bunch of stats and a bunch of context before he goes on match of the day. You'll give him the stats literally two minutes before and he'll drop them. We had a thing in the WhatsApp group about Ronaldo and free kicks. We put it in the WhatsApp group. And Ian was broadcasting. It was about yeah, Ronaldo. Yeah, I remember it. Yeah, yeah. You know, he received that stat like seconds before. Really? Seconds before. Do you, did you guys see this? Mm -mm. We, were just, we were in the WhatsApp chat and he just, Ian basically talked about Ronaldo and free kicks. And he talks about the half time. He literally got that seconds before. Yeah. I remember there's this clip where it's like, right. He go, I don't want to say he goes off, but he's like, why do we, why does everybody talk about Ronaldo being good at free kicks? And he said the exact statistic. He said, he's played yeah. this many caps and he's, mm. he's had this many free kicks and he scored this many free kicks. One in 50 attempts. Yeah. Ever goes, ever gets all excited. Woo. Nothing happens. Yeah. yeah. And, and Twitter exploded. And he knew, he knew the stats on Ronaldo. He knew the free kick stats. So he basically was, like, I think he, he might've asked one of us like, hang on a minute, he doesn't score that many. And we were like, oh, I think it's like, and then I think Ryan had the stat. I was like, oh, it's that much. And literally like, bang, it was there. Like, mm, it, for example, the Black Lives Matter happened on, just before I forget, before I forget. Black Lives Matter, Ian was like, okay, the Black Lives, we're going like a match today tonight, we're going to talk about this and what's happening in different countries. Ian mentioned the names of black people killed by police. I think he mentioned Diallo in Paris and he mentioned Uri Jallo, who was killed in 2005 by police. That case has not been talked about really in Germany mainstream that much. And all of a sudden German activists are going, oh my God, Ian Wright is saying a name on TV that's barely been said on German TV for like years. Mm -hmm. They were blown away that he did that. And he integrated it. If you see that interview again, he just weaves it so perfectly into that kind of the narrative, like a barrister. It's mm -hmm. incredible. Yeah. yeah. It's 33 caps for Ian Wright yeah. and 15 for Andrew Cole. Yeah, it's, it's that it's that perception of what someone's like superseding what the actual idea of intelligence is. And that's this it transcends sports so you know we, yeah. we can go across like well nfl i'm i'm mm. if you're an nfl fan musa um mm. you see it with the offensive coordinators eric b enemy from the kansas city chiefs is he reading yeah. is he calling the plays and andy reed calls the plays but he's like he does call the plays as well you don't you don't get to that level in the nfl as a black or a white man, if mm. you cannot call the plays, mm. and whenever a head coach job comes up, this man gets overlooked every single time. And but then they always go, well, you know, this um, he had. There was something that happened in college. It's like, are we just gonna? Urban Meyer was literally yeah. <laughs> out here like There's twerking with people that were not his wife after his team lost a game. Yeah, <laughs> it's it's those double standards, um, and it happens with coaches all the time. Lamar Jackson. Lamar Jackson. Yeah. Oh my God! Yeah. MVP. Heisman Trophy winner, like the most winning record, I think, of active players, possibly other than, yeah, yeah, other than uh, Mahomes. He's still not got a contract. Yeah, he's you know he's still he's playing on he's playing on the tank. But what's the narrative about that? Well, he you know he represents himself, so you know he's a bit difficult to deal. He, he can't throw. He doesn't know how to play. Like, are, are you guys serious? What is that saying about the qualities of defenses in the NFL? If this boy 
is not intelligent enough to be like, you know, a bug standard NFL quarterback. Oh, he's just a running back. Mm. It's, it's so wild, the Lamar Jackson thing, because it was almost like that second season, you know, we all watched the first season, it was incredible. Mm. And it's, it's, it's standard for a second season quarterback to people to start work out what you're doing and start seeing you find gaps. And like, because, you know, it's, it's like that thing in Top Gun, people deploy countermeasures, right? Mm. They deploy countermeasures. And of course it's hard to adjust and Lamar Jackson's hard, hard to adjust, but some of the criticism leveled at him was almost like, yeah, we got him. Thank goodness we got him. Whereas actually... You look at someone like Matt Leinert. Matt Leinert went to the Arizona Cardinals after starring mm. at USC and, and mm. he, stank, he stank the place up. Uh, but you never got, you know, he, he, he really, he really, Matt Leinert really, you know, those USC guys, they really like under, they, even Reggie Bush didn't have the best time. Yeah. You know, USC, USC, when they got into the league, they didn't really deliver those guys considering how amazing they were in college. But it's funny who got the kind of, the backlash and who didn't. Mm. And you see it in basketball too, like Gordon Hayward got that massive contract with the Charlotte Hornets, 120,000, 120 million, sorry, for three, for four years. Down in, down in Charlotte, 120 million for four years and it's calm and it's quiet. But who's coming after, but the, pe the way people go after like black players with the bigger contracts is noticeable, mm -hmm. you know? It's just, you see it in all sports, like who yeah. gets the scrutiny and who doesn't, yeah. And that's another story, American sport and like- I was gonna say, especially in America, especially was, in America, yeah. but it's so like, Black players are just treated as like indispensable, and if you want to talk about like the master-slave relationship mm -hmm. in sports, oh, it's look just at the combine. Like, look I at mean, the combine. I yeah. cannot watch. And the way the way they, the way they would set up Steph Curry against LeBron. Mm. Yeah. Oh, you can't emulate LeBron. Oh, you can't be this kind of six. LeBron James is like a physically perfect specimen, but he worked for it, right? Mm. He is. Yeah, he's six eight. But how many people who are six eight that can do what he can do? But then it was always like Steph with the kind of coded criticism. And I don't think Steph or LeBron ever bought into this because they knew it was happening because they're, mm. they're very smart people. But there was a way in which like Steph was being offset against like LeBron, like the kind of like the dark skinned, like, and, like they're both mm. family men. They're both like, you know, family yeah. men, same, not that, not they have to be right. Not that they matter, but it, the critic is so absurd when you consider what kind of men they are. Skip. There's really nothing you can say about LeBron, like off the court. It's, mm. it's nothing. Yeah. yeah, it's why. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's the old Skip Bayless thing. Oh, yeah, it's like Steph. Like you think you can be Steph Curry? No, you you, you can't. <laughs> you can't. You can't. You can't. You literally can't. Water pistol, Pete. <laughs> I absolutely assure yeah. you, you cannot. Yeah. <laughs> Did you not see that when he uh, he tried to he tried to take a shot at Jalen Rose and Jalen Rose brought up his high school stats? Yeah. Well, two like, points per game. Two, two points, points per game. game. <laughs> and then called him Water Pistol Pete. <laughs> <laughs> Amazing. <laughs> Yeah. And rather like Sunes and Pogba, LeBron has never, ever applied. I mean, I think Pogba once said, oh, I don't know who Sunes is, right? Mm, Which yeah. is like, he, he does know who he is. But was, whereas LeBron has never applied. That, that cuts him so deep. Mm -hmm. <laughs> well, he's made millions of dollars off him. Like without, without, I mean, Skip Bayless can literally trace what hundreds of thousands in his bank to viral hits he's got slagging off LeBron. Mm. So do you know what's really funny is, is is as problematic as America is as and it and like that could be a whole podcast series. Yeah. It's so interesting how um and and it happens with black footballers going abroad, but not to America. So many black people in this in the UK find themselves going abroad. You see it in acting. Daniel Kaluuya, Idris Elba, yeah. Marianne Jean Baptiste, Damson Idris, Chiwetel Ejiofor, you've got uh, Chris Small, like 
Chris Smalling is now kind of like a, a Europa League winner Smaldini. playing for Roma. Smaldini. 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 <laughs> <laughs> um, obviously, Tammy Abraham, Ashley Young goes out there. In, I was in a doy, yeah, yeah. So what I was gonna, what I was gonna ask you, Musa, is obviously you um, live in Germany. You you wrote that yeah. beautiful book for 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 those of you who listen to our pod. You you really need to go and read. In the end, it was oh, all honestly, about love. Honestly, uh, yeah. like oh, you read that? Oh man, oh, like, what do you what do you mean? Oh, you read that? Genuinely, <laughs> like before bed, me and my fiance, new fiance. Hey. Hey. <laughs> oh, hey, hey, hey! Oh my goodness, we we read in bed. Hold tight, Jan. Always Jan. lovely. She must have been sick of me reading your book, Musa, because the amount of time she's just getting into her own book. And I'm like, Jan, you've got to listen to this. Yeah. You've got to listen to this. Just look at this passage. This is unbelievable. Honestly, absolutely beautiful book, mate. Oh, my God. Yeah. Thanks, guys. It means a lot. I can't even remember why I brought it up. What yeah. was I saying? So well, just move, maybe moving abroad. Yeah. Abroad. yeah, yeah. So, yeah, my, my question was is, obviously, um, you've, you've lived in Germany for, for a while now. Do, yeah. How is your experience in Germany versus what your experience was there's like no the way I'd be doing there's no way I'd be doing what I'm doing if I was still in the UK no way in hell no way in hell Stadia would not exist Riley's house why, why would not? exist well because they wouldn't have given it to me like when we got an offer from we got an offer and I said I, when we started doing Stadia I said the first place we get an offer from will be the US mm. and he was like what do you mean I said trust me the first place that will give us an offer will be the US. And Ryan was looking at me like, hey man, like I'm the clairvoyant here. Like Ryan, Ryan's like, Ryan's a prophet, right? So Ryan says <laughs> stuff. It's normally him that says stuff that like comes to pass, right? It manifests, he's a genius. The one time, and not because I was a genius, because from experience, he was like, I said, it'll be the US. And he was like, oh no, no, trust me. And he was sure enough, Spotify, the ringer got in touch. I said, because the way that like, and this can sound harsh and people think, oh, I'm being bitter, but I won't name, I won't call them out. They might call me out, but I'll be like, they didn't know what to do with me. They didn't know what to do with me. I was told this, whether it was me being spoken word or whatever, it's like, we don't want to do with you, Musa. Like, you're an anomaly in terms of your class background, what you talk about, what you, they didn't know what to do with me. And so I kept hitting, they kept asking about like race and football, even though my first two books, my first book, okay, like, look, my first book about football was called A Culture Left Foot. It deliberately did not mention race because I wanted to write a universal book about football that everyone could just enjoy from like a bit like a sort of a barbecue conversation. That book was nominated for Sports Book of the Year, William Hill, right, 2008, my first book. And every by the time I left the UK, six years later, every time I was interviewed about football, it was about racism in football, even though I'd written about so many other things. That, like, it is so rare I talk about this subject because I respect you lot so much and there'll be a great conversation. There were people who basically were like, I was known for writing about great managers and great footballers. And I never got commissioned to do the punditry. I was working for a very large American organization. Uh, shout out to James Tyler who brought me in. But even in that context, I never was allowed anything beyond my brief. I wasn't allowed to grow beyond the role. Mm. It was very much like I was in one lane, one pigeonhole and it was leaving the country and coming to another country where I had no, there was no kind of like preconceptions about what a black person could do. Mm. Germany does have big racial issues, don't get me wrong. But the difference with Germany is like whenever you move abroad as a black person, you know how it is. It's a cost benefit analysis. What are the challenges? Mm. How bad, you know, you're basically choosing what flavor of racism you want to navigate. <laughs> what you find in Germany is the people that back me, that have my back, the love that I get here overwhelms the hate that I get. Mm. The, the friendships I have and the people like my poetry was published in German before it was ever published in English. Like 
I got a record deal here with an amazing like inter uh, sort of electronic label for a couple of years in Hamburg. I got a music publisher here. So I wrote a song for the Bundesliga, right? They used in their American coverage for Fox Sports. Um, Stadio came along, like the way I had to leave. And now Stadio back in the UK, the respect it has, it's all amazing, right? But it doesn't happen if I don't leave the UK. Yeah. Mm. Scary, but like if I sat around, I said, mom, I'm going to be like, there was a, there was a darkest, <laughs> darkest how. Darkest Hour was on the news one time and I saw that, you know, when black people look so tired and mm. they're, they're almost, they're almost graying. It's almost like the skin is going gray. Mm. And the man looked tired. I said, mom, if I don't leave the UK, I'm going to be like that. I'm going to be on like some TV show talking about racism again. And the white people are going to be laughing and the black people are going to be like, that black man looks tired. Yeah. So I left. Did, so I left. You, you remind me, well, you were just speaking then of uh, Bamani Bim- Jones and he's an ESPN broadcaster and he's had Amazing. so many different shows and they don't know what to do with him and he's just landed the shows I think they've done one series that's called Game Theory and he's an economist economics genius yeah he's a brilliant he's a brilliant economist exactly yeah. and yeah. he's like it's, they just keep making me talk about race like the last time he was on ESPN they brought him on to talk I think he was talking about potentially about Kaepernick on first take and obviously like he just wiped the floor with those guys because their whole thing is just be dumb, be loud, be big, and argue. Mm-hmm. And that's just not the way he operates. And he's like, I didn't, I didn't really want to do that. And he, they kept trying to put him into this box yes. to to leverage that fact that he was a clever black guy who can talk about race. He's like, no, I'm an economist. He loves college sports. He loves like, you, you can just pick up facts about who won the Heisman however many years ago, batting averages of like double A baseball players from, from 1997. But he, he's, I've, spoke, I've heard him on, on his own on the, the Right Time podcast where he's talking about like, that's, that's not what I wanted to do. Mm. And you've got to, you've got to find a place which, which will let you be you, no matter how brilliant you are, no matter how clever you are. And it's, I think there are a lot of people who probably don't find that space. Yeah. I t- yeah, I turned down most of that work, to be honest. I, I only talk about race and football with people like Wrighty's House and people like yourself. Mm. People who actually like, want a serious discourse because I mean like Bamani and Jones is a good example. Like he's a, he's a brilliant uh, economist, but he's actually best on pop culture. Yeah. Like mm. the best, the best, you remember when Solange and Jay-Z had that altercation no, yeah. in, the, in the lift, mm-hmm. he gave the best ever breakdown of what had happened before the, the full details actually came out. Mm. Like he broke that down. It was like one of the best pop culture, like TMZ type things. It's a black, a black economist with an incredible pop culture breakdown. It's like, that's who Bamani is. He's a regular d- a guy who just likes to shoot the shit. Yeah. One of the things, just gonna, I don't hope this doesn't come across as kind of, you know, no, agra- agra- aggrandizing, but one of the things that I do enjoy about this podcast is that, um, and and even the name of it, Black Black in a Box, is that we all have very different views. And, you know, we, we f- I feel like we say this every podcast, you know, black people are not a monolith. And no, we've had some so. big disagreements on here, but the problem is, is that, you know, I get out of here and when I look at acting jobs, it's like, I look at acting jobs in the UK that are specifically for black people. It's like, well, I can't really, I'm not going to play an African pirate. I'm not playing, I'm not, I don't wish to be, I can't, I can't, it would be inauthentic for me. It would be as inauthentic for me to be on Top Boy as it would be for me, me? to be on like <laughs> The Wind in the Willows or something like that. And mm. and it is about, that's the respect I have for you is just, is so high because the the, the common theme between people, we had um, Nels Abbey on 
the last podcast. Um, <laughs> we've had um, Simeon Brown was on the podcast before that, and the the, the common theme is we we create our own lanes. Um, and and I know how difficult that is. I know exactly how difficult that is. And even I I, I guess there's no. It, I guess my question for you is: Do you ever feel like you make it, or is it always just kind of keep digging because at any second this can be taken away? Or is the Spotify like is is being part of a brand uh, you know a brand like Spotify? Did that give you a security? You know what it was actually. Um, first of all, thank you so much. And the, the thing is for me, like I, like most black people in this. Uh, in this country, maybe around the world, most of my relatives are working class, right? I have a middle class upbringing, I have an upper class education. And I never hid my accent once, and I'm proud of that. I never hid who I was, where I came from my background, because I was like, listen, to represent is not to hide behind a, a dominant black identity or one which is more palatable for different people. It's like, yeah, I'll get ridiculed. Yeah, I'll be the kind of Carlton Banks. You know, Carlton Banks was a laughing stock. Mm. You know, middle class black guys are a laughing stock, right? As by default, it's kind of a joke. and. I basically took that and held that and you know being bisexual as well like the things people say behind your back sometimes in your own extended family right you know like it's hard for them to say that now because it's like oh it's awkward because someone goes oh that's your cousin and it's harder to like disrespect someone who has done what i've done you know but then there's always an element of how do i say this it is forming my own lane and the reason why i feel like i have succeeded is because i was at the fringe and what I did at the fringe has now become more, more acceptable, mm. right? Like talking about sexuality, talking about race. I'm not bigging myself up here. I'm not saying that. What well, the reason I did all that was because I thought I'm good enough at what I do to succeed despite those disadvantages. And the reason I'm doing that is so the next black person that comes along doesn't have to go this hard. Yeah. I actually don't want the next black people to work as hard. I don't want them to be like grinding 24 hours. I want them to actually enjoy doing one or two podcasts a week. And relax with their friends because that's what like that's what white kids do in the same situation yeah you know this is and the reason why i don't feel like even if like everything stopped tomorrow i would feel like i've done the work i came here to do there was a moment actually um this summer it was um it's a bit of a, a flex but i'll say it but the turning point for me i never saw my mom so proud when um, i got uh, made a fellow of the uh, royal society of literature and i never saw my mom smile like that in her life right she came and she was like so excited she was so giddy and i remember thinking if I never write another sentence, I've done the work I came here to do mm. because I got into this place. I got into this Royal Society through respecting myself. I never sold out black people. I never disrespected them when like they weren't in the room. And the amount of rooms I've been in in my life, the majority of rooms I've been in my life have been uh, majority white rooms. You know, I've been working all over the world. I've been disrespected all over the world at the border security, uh, underestimated in job situations. And I never once allow people to go, ah, oh, black people, you're one of the hardworking ones. I never, ever, I, every time I was in a room, every black person was in that room with me that wanted to be respected. Um, so yeah, that's why I don't feel that, it's not even the Spotify cosign, it's just the point I got to, I was like, I got to this point on my own terms. Mm. Yeah. Here ends the lesson, sorry. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm preaching, to, I'm preaching today. We, you know, we do, we do this thing called black, black out the box where it's one thing we've seen done heard experienced recently that's really sort of given us love given us life just mm. it can be something you've read can be a quote can be whatever as our guest of choice today would you is there anything that comes to mind for me yeah absolutely it uh the african book festival in berlin it was incredible like yeah three incredible days of celebration i interviewed the amazing jennifer nancy Mukumbi about her brilliant book the first woman 
that was my highlight. But JJ Bollower was stuck in the place, amazing guy. Like so many, so many writers I deeply respect um, from around the world of African heritage. And it was just like, it was, it was a joy. The whole thing and the food, my God, the food. Wow. Yeah, yeah. So that was my, that gave me life. Talk me through your best plate quickly. I'm oh my goodness. It was the barbecue chicken. Mm. Absolutely demonic. So here's the thing, right? You people know. <laughs> <laughs> the one, just very quickly, while I'll talk you through, very, 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 very brief, because right? we've, got, we've got to go. But um, the key to the chicken, right, is the ginger, isn't it? Mm. Right? That, yeah, you, yes. see, you see this? <laughs> you fry the ginger at the bottom of the of the pan with the olive oil and then you add on the other stuff the onions and the garlic right that's the key to ginger because the ginger unlocks everything now i'm, I'm tasting this going this man is a demon there must be and here's the thing i felt like i felt like colombo because i i was looking through with my fork and sure enough sure enough i found the small traces of ginger you see that the issue is sometimes they'll put in a big piece of ginger and it gets masqueraded as a piece of chicken <laughs> no no <laughs> <laughs> no, you gotta, you gotta, you gotta, you gotta chop it finely. You can't finally, you see. Yeah. You see it. You see the vision. Yeah, yeah. Ginger <laughs> <laughs> yeah. chicken discourse. Listen, this, 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 this is, is the chicken. important Listen. conversation to be having. <laughs> Listen, we contain multitudes, man. This is <laughs> this is the range, right? Yeah, this is what yeah. it is. I love it. I mean, mine, mine was gonna be Moose's book because I finished it what about three or four days ago. Oh, um, there's, there's too much to be said. The part about when your cousin comes to visit you in Berlin and you were enough, that oh. that spoke to me. That really, really spoke to me because I had a similar example with my, my fiance in Berlin this year when I was oh, wow. I wasn't quite sane enough, wasn't being entertaining. And it was just the fact that we were spending some some quality time together was enough. Mm. And I had and they to, came for, they came for you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. Exactly that. And I, I thought the whole book was beautiful and, and that is one of the the many passages that I that I oh, thank you so, so much. Thank man. you for that amazing piece of work. Oh, you're a gen. It's actually coming out in German as well very soon, which is so exciting for me because to be, to have written a book about a place that I've come to love and to have that out in the language is mm. like, man, it does, I can't, I can't describe the feeling, but thank you so much, your gen, for that. Appreciate that. Are you fluent in German? Like very fluent? My German's not fluent. My German's good, but it's, it's, because they're like, oh, well, you do interviews in it. But the problem is like, I was going to be like, yeah, yeah. But then I'm like, you know, actually, the stuff that off the top, off the cuff you can lose in translation. Yeah. yeah. And it's sad because I'm not quite ready for that. But yeah, my German is um, it's doing up Bielsa. It's well, I did it. For, I did it for A level. <laughs> I did my German. I did German for A level, almost to, to basically university standard. Yeah. But then for 20 years it went quiet. So now I'm like rediscovering it. But it's there. It's still in there. Yeah. I learned the other day. I can't remember what the phrase is. You might know Musa, but there's a phrase in German which means I'm visited enough. And you can say that when you've got guests over as kind of- Oh my God, yes. Say, oh my... Right, yeah, you can't uh, leave now. <laughs> it's bezucht, something like, yeah, I, 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 yeah there's a, I know, yeah, I know. Bezucht. It translates as literally, I'm visited enough. Yeah, yeah. Bezucht, bezucht. yeah, 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 yeah. We need it's that wild. in every language. <laughs> yeah, I'm like, I need to know what that is. Alana. Speaking of delicious chicken, uh, one of my favorite Black Out the Box moments was Carnival. Oh, we yeah. had oh, wow. a black- in a box podcast meeting yeah. minus Angelo, but he was there in spirit for Carnival. Had a blast. It was all family. Mumsy was there as well. Right? Mumsy was there. She caught a few wines. She certainly <laughs> did, <laughs> as as predicted. Um, caught more wines than me, to be honest. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Shout out Neef as well. Yeah, yeah. We saw Neef at Carnival. Oh, yeah. oh my god! The, the, 
Oh my God, the Don himself. What a writer. Oh my goodness. Oh, that, he's, he's, he's turned his book in as well. That's why he, yeah. looked, he, looked, he was ready. <laughs> <laughs> he was rampage into rampage. Oh <laughs> uh, Yeah, Carnival's mine as well. Jello? Um, in the spirit of Joe Lysett, I'm celebrating the diversity of the trust cabinet. I feel uh, represented. <laughs> Kemi Kavanaugh, <laughs> Quad, <laughs> James Cleverly. Uh, in the words of the great bard, we need a moment of silence. We made it. <laughs> um, no, in all seriousness, um, we were talking about him earlier, Munya, because, and, and the reason I say, I found it really difficult to continually find the laughs in tragedy. Yeah. Um, it was it was so difficult, kind of, something awful would happen and I'd kind of be like, well, how am I gonna pull the funny out of this? And, it, and it, it really does, as a satirist, take something out of you. So for him to be constantly, once a week, twice a week, three times a week, being able to put out something that is both funny, but actually, and, 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 and soothing and a balm to these times. Um, I, I, I really couldn't have more, more respect for him than I, than I do. He did one today about who wants to be a billionaire. Mm. And you just go, you know what? For, for a minute and a half, I was able to have a smile because you were able to highlight just the ridiculousness and um, in, in a real light entertainment way. And again, it's one of those, if he was white, he'd, be, he'd own Saturday Night TV. Yeah. Um, so yeah, hold tight again, again, Munya. So that's me. Musa, what have you got out? What do you want people to watch? What do you want people to buy? What do you want people to listen to? Oh, wow. Okay. Uh, listen, Ryan's going to get embarrassed by this, but I work with a genius at the oh, Stadio podcast. So yeah, Ryan Hunt at the Stadio podcast. So yeah, if you want to check out Stadio uh, and Writer's House, um, they are, Stadio's twice a week, Writer's House is once a week. Uh, a book to check out. If you could buy anything that I'd done, I'd like it to be in then it's all about love. Like, mm. I say that because it's my favorite book in so many ways. Shout out to Rough Trade, who got it out there. They did an amazing job. It's my favorite book in so many ways because it, um, I think it's everything that I want to do as a writer. It's every aspect of how I write. It's the poetry, it's the prose. Um, and it's also, it's very short. It's 120 pages. Uh, so yeah. So yeah, that's, that's the thing. I yeah, also actually, <laughs> in the little frenzy whilst reading it, I bought it for two of my boys because I was like, I need to share this. And that's mm. the first oh my God. Oh books. man, that, that, that means everything. When those checks come in, yeah. Musa, holler at me. Listen, listen. <laughs> soon, listen, soon come, listen. <laughs> living, I'm living good these days. Yeah. Living we good go. These days. Right, it's, it's, it's a Shea Serrano. Shay, what should I get? You should get three more of my books. <laughs> got you. Got you. Um, Musa, it, it's been an absolute pleasure mm. and an honor. So I can say thank that. You. Um, thank you. And a phenomenal conversation. So thank you for Thanks so much time. for just letting me like, do you know what can I just say? I know, you know I talk a lot because it's feel, I feel like an unburden here because it's not often I get to unburden. So thank you for like, allow me to do that. No. You know, thank yeah. you so much. Thank you so much. Yeah. Welcome back anytime. Yeah. But yeah, so when good. when you touch the UK, let us know. Pass through. I'll find you all on Twitter as well. Find all you cats on Twitter. We'll show you. <laughs> Take care. It's Champions League Wednesday. Thank you for your time. Black in a box. We out. We out. Deuces.